You're listening to Differentiated with Ben Silverman, where investment research analysts dive into insider data and demystify the signals that drive one-of-a-kind investment ideas. Welcome to Differentiated. I'm your host, Ben Silverman. Today, we'll be examining Rule 10b-51, an SEC regulation that dictates how and when insiders can sell stock. This rule, more than 20 years old, is changing this year, and we'll discuss how this change will impact insiders and investors. And joining me in this discussion will be Verity Data Senior Analyst Max McGee. Max has been an expert in insider trading analysis and regulation who's examined these issues for more than 15 years. I'll also be looking at two examples of Rule 10b-51 use by insiders. What can these examples tell us about future Rule 10b-51 use? In August 2000, the SEC adopted Rule 10b-51. This rule provides corporate insiders an affirmative defense to insider trading liability. In circumstances where, subject to certain conditions, the trade was pursuant to a binding contract. In plain English, the SEC adopted this rule back in 2000 because there were some legal challenges about when insiders could trade stock when they had material non-public information. So the purpose of Rule 10b-51 was actually to provide insiders with a sense of relief, telling them that if they adopted these Rule 10b-51 trading plans, which are essentially limit orders that they set up with brokers, and they were doing so at a time when they did not have material non-public information, that they would get a measure of legal safe harbor against allegations of illegal insider trading. The issue is, it was immediately clear that it was an imperfect regulation. And ever since then, academics and investment research professionals like myself have been raising red flags about loopholes and the unintended consequences of Rule 10b-51. In late 2021, the SEC proposed a fairly radical overhaul of Rule 10b-51, and last year the proposals were adopted. This year, they're taking effect. Joining me to discuss these changes is Verity Data Senior Analyst Max McGee. Thanks for joining Differentiated, Max. So I just discussed the background on Rule 10b-51. I'd like to know why has this become controversial? Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, Glad to be on the podcast. So what ended up happening was that insiders over the last 20 years have used Rule 10b-51 opportunistically. There's a bunch of loopholes in this rule that allow insiders to do things like get the safe harbor afforded by the rule, even if they trade immediately following putting a 10b-51 plan in place. They use price triggers. They can use multiple plans. All these sorts of things that are not in the spirit of the rule which really is intended to separate the decision to trade from the trade itself by a period of time. It seems that when the regulation was adopted, the idea here was that insiders would use these for sort of uh, methodical selling or for occasional selling, but that the idea was that the selling of their own stock under these plans would be pretty vanilla. But you mentioned that the big issue is that insiders have been using these plans opportunistically. Uh, How have they been doing that? Exactly. So we do see some of that vanilla behavior, which might be an insider selling, say, 5,000 shares on the first of the month every month over a period of a year or two years. That doesn't appear opportunistic. What we also see, though, is an insider who might sell 
5,000 shares at $20, 10,000 shares at $25, and so on at higher and higher prices, trying to capture high valuations. We might see an insider have a price trigger go off on a pre-earnings rally, and then the numbers come in after that sale, and maybe they're not so good, but they were able to capture that good price before earnings came out. We'll get into this a little bit later, but there's been a lot of concerns over the use of having multiple plans in place, which target all sorts of different prices, and then the insider can cancel one or more of those plans and just use the plan that ends up being most beneficial to them. It sounds like there's definitely some loopholes here. We know that one of those loopholes would be around canceling the plan. That's right. And at the moment, under the current regulation, insiders do not have to disclose when a plan has been canceled. Under the new rule, which we'll get into, we're going to have a lot more detail disclosed about the structure of these plans. So by and large, we're not going to be so much in the dark about behavior like that going forward. So let's discuss the current rule, which is being phased out as we speak, with the new rules. Under the current regulation, which is being phased out, insiders do not have to indicate on their Form 4s if a 10b-5-1 plan is being used. They also don't have to disclose any information regarding that plan. Max, what's changing? So that's right. Right now, insiders do not have to indicate if they're using a 10b-5-1 plan or not. And while most do, we, we sometimes do note selling that is clearly by a 10b-5-1 plan, but they haven't indicated it. Another thing that many insiders under the current rule do not disclose is the date on which the plan was adopted, which can be an important piece of context because it tells you when the insider made a decision to transact. With the new rule, insiders must indicate if they're using a 10b-5-1 plan for a transaction, and they also, on the Form 4, must disclose the plan adoption date. And that will be in a footnote. And that is something that we are set up to capture in our database. And what else can we glean from adoption dates? The plan adoption date, it can tell you a lot of things. As I mentioned, it can tell you when they made the decision to sell, but also you can look at the time between the plan adoption date and the first sale. And that gives you an indication of, you know, whether a trigger is being used. We can look at, you know, is this sale going off at the highest price since the plan was adopted. And it can give you sort of insight into the cadence of how they use their plans. Do they adopt their plans at the same time every year, for example? Or are they adopting a plan at an unusual time? And might that indicate a change in behavior? That's interesting because I know we've seen a lot of insiders adopt plans, for example, right after earnings which would make sense. But other times we see insiders who adopt their plans near the end of the quarterly trading window, which is also interesting because if you're adopting right after earnings, that's your big material non-public information dump for the quarter. If you're adopting right before the trading window closes for the quarter, well, you've got a fair amount of the quarter behind you already. So one would think that there is an additional information edge for the seller with that adoption closer to the end of the quarter versus earlier in the quarter. Right. That's a great example. There's really a whole lot of nuance that can be gleaned from these data points around 10B51 plans. And 
almost on a company by company basis, you can connect some dots using these. And that's what we try to do. Right. And so the part of the rule involving the indication of the 10B51 plan being mandatory and the adoption date, that takes effect on April 1st. And we'll start seeing that on all Form 4s then. That is the way the SEC set up the regulation. Another rule change is a quarterly disclosure that companies must make. Now, prior to the change, there were no disclosures. I mean, once in a while, you would see a voluntary disclosure in a 10K or a 10Q with some limited detail saying you know, an officer or director or multiple had adopted 10B51 plans. What is the new rule covering? And again, this, is, this one is effective uh, after April 1st. Right. So we're going to start seeing these on the 10Ks and 10Qs that are filed during Q3 and that reflect quarter two just ended. So there's going to be a table in these Ks and Qs, and that table is going to have detail on all of the open 10B51 plans for the various insiders at the companies. We'll get adoption dates. We should be getting the number of shares to be sold. We should be getting the duration of the plans. So in addition to what we just discussed, where we're going to have on Form 4's adoption dates, once a quarter, we're going to get this bigger all-at-once data dump of all the details around these plans. And in some cases, because of the way the cadence is going to work out, we'll be getting info about 10B51 plans that have actually not been used by the insiders yet. So a lot of new information there that we're going to be getting once per quarter and that we'll be able to database and analyze and all of that. That's interesting. So we're going to kind of be getting some pre-sales information sometimes. And I also want to remind listeners that 10B51 plans can be used to buy stock. It's much less common than for selling stock. And a lot of the regulation changes are aimed at sellers as opposed to buyers. But we should be seeing some additional detail with the 10B51 buyers as well. I think the most interesting change and probably the one that got the most play in sort of the media coverage and uh, the coverage from the legal community and, you know, other stakeholders in the uh, sort of executive compensation arena is a 90-day cooling off period is now going to be mandatory. And that was actually effective for any plans adopted or amended on or after February 27th of this year. What was the regulation before that? And what does it mean for investors that we're now looking at executives and board members having to wait 90 days between plan adoption and their first sale? Right. So previously, we saw that insiders could sell effective immediately under any plan. We would sometimes observe insiders selling a day after a 10B5 plan was adopted. Clearly, as we discussed at the top of the podcast, that's not part of the intended outcome of these rules, which are supposed to protect insiders, uh, supposed to give them safe harbor, that they're not trading with material non-public information. If you're setting the plan one day and selling under it the next, you shouldn't be afforded that protection. So that's really what the SEC was going after. Right, because one would assume if you adopt the 10B51 plan, and sell a day later. You could have just sold the day you adopted the plan. 
Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't really make any sense. It's just sort of, you know, it's, it's a real loophole of, of trying to get that safe harbor without really behaving in the spirit of the rule. So now we're looking at a 90-day period between plan adoption and the first transaction under the plan. Is this going to impact how insiders utilize 10b-5-1 plans? Because the goal of the regulation change was to stamp down on opportunistic 10b-5-1 selling. You know, there was some good research uh, spearheaded by Professor Dan Taylor at the University of Pennsylvania that the SEC relied heavily on that involved the opportunistic use of 10b-5-1 plans. This is what sort of got the commission's, you know, brain trust whirling and, you know, spurred into action. But is is the cooling off period going to tamp down on opportunistic selling? Well, we think that's unlikely. It does remain to be seen. But what we've observed as different rules impacting insider trading have changed over the years and been adjusted here and there, insiders always seem to be very clever at finding ways to take advantage of the rules that are out there. And so we do expect them to find ways to keep pushing the limits. And we, as analysts, are actually going to have so much better visibility into how these plans are used because of all the data that we'll be getting, that despite the change to a longer waiting period, a longer cooling off period, we may actually end up having more insights into opportunistic behavior than we did before. I'll also add that we certainly have seen many, many examples of insiders behaving opportunistically using plans that did not go off for at least 90 days under the old rule. And I think you'll have some examples of that coming up later in the podcast. So, you know, it's not at all unheard of for insiders to behave opportunistically under the same parameters that we're about to have under this new rule. So the 90-day cooling off period, you know, one of the things we've observed over the years is the larger companies, you know, not all S&P 500 companies, but certainly a majority of them, you know, companies that have fairly robust corporate governance policies seem to have, for the most part, 90-day or greater wait periods. So are we are we thinking that Perhaps among the smaller cap names or mid cap names, you know, that's we're, we're going to see more of an insider behavior change. I think that's very likely. And that is typical. The, these larger cap names have much more stringent governance practices. So the big changes and probably really the companies that the SEC most had in mind are these are these smaller companies where the governance was not quite as locked down. That being said, one of the things that has occurred to me is that insiders may simply change how they structure their plan. Somebody who was accustomed to selling uh, after 30 days because that's what their company allowed, and now they're at 90 days, might simply just start embedding more price triggers to make sure they have the potential trades covered. So perhaps if they had used two or three price triggers before, now they might just put in eight just to make sure that they can cover any significant revaluation higher outlier performance. Right. And that's exactly what we were talking about before. Insiders are going to find a way to be opportunistic because it's in their best interest to try to maximize the value of their stock-based compensation. So I don't think there should be much expectation that insiders are going to throw their hands up and say, okay, well, we'll just accept uh, you know whatever price we get once a year or something like that. I, I think they're going to find a way to maximize that comp value for sure. 
In the end, it sounds like the rule changes are good for investors because there is going to be more transparency around the use and structure of these plans. You know, knowing how many shares are going to be sold is obviously very important because if we see a sale of 20,000 shares and then there's a disclosure that indicates that the insider plans to sell up to 100,000 shares, well, we know that the insider is not done selling and we can glean some information from that as well. You know, perhaps they sell 20,000 shares at a certain price. While we might be able to extrapolate that they're going to sell another 20,000 shares at another price threshold. Right, exactly. I think that's exactly what we're going to see. And then from an insider point of view, it also sounds like that while the regulations may prohibit and close some of the current loopholes, they probably haven't gone far enough to completely eliminate the use of opportunistic trading. Right. And if, I mean, if you do the thought exercise there, it would have to get pretty draconian, you know, the amount of limits they would need to put in place. And I just don't see regulators going that far. I think this kind of hits at a lot of the hot button issues around 10B51, and probably we'll see for a few years how it shakes out. I also think it's important to remind everyone that insiders sell opportunistically not using 10B51 plans. You know, where there's right. <laughs> so, so some of the insiders using 10B51 plans may, may shift their behavior outside of plans and others will simply continue to be opportunistic when it fits. Absolutely. Right, well, thank you so much for joining us, Max. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. One of the biggest changes as discussed with Rule 10b-51 is going to be a 90-day cooling-off period. And what this means is that insiders will not be able to make a trade under their 10b-51 plans until at least 90 days after the plan's adoption. The purpose of this change, which is a change from nothing, there was nothing in the prior regulation that demanded a cooling-off period, was to stamp out opportunistic selling. The idea being that 90 days, which is the length of a quarter, insiders would lose some information edge by the time the 90-day period had expired. You'd go often from one quarter to the next, of course. The question is, does 90 days really matter? Well, we don't think so. And we're going to use the example of Estee Lauder CEO Fabrizio Freda to see why. In August 2022, Freda adopted a Rule 10b-51 plan. Now, we know this because his subsequent sales under the plan, which happened in January of 2023 and February of 2023, indicated that he had adopted the plan in August of 2022. So thank you, Mr. Freda, for including that information for us. When Freda adopted the plan in August of 2022, shares of Estee Lauder were trading around $270. His plan was set up to sell shares that he acquired upon multiple stock vestings, the first one being in September of 2022 and the second one being in November of 2022. So Freda set up his plan, and almost immediately after he set up his plan, shares of Estee Lauder were trading at about $270 started a downward spiral. The stock fell to 
almost $200 by the middle of the fourth quarter. Then the stock started coming back up, posting a furious rally. And by the end of the year, we're up over $250. And by late January of 2023, the stock had hit $270 again. When the stock hit $270 on January 23rd, it was the first time it had attained that price since August of the prior year, which was right around the time when Freda had adopted its 10B51 plan. In this instance, Freda was probably using what we call a minimum sale price threshold. The stock had reached $270 before and right around the time of the plan adoption. So Freda wanted to make sure he had a he had a baseline where he was willing to sell it, line in the sand. Didn't want to sell below $270. So that's what he put into his plan. The way his plan was structured was, I have a restricted stock vesting occurring on September 6th of 2022. After that vesting, I want to sell some of the shares, but I want to do it at a minimum sale price of $270. By the time that sale $270 occurred, it had been 151 days between the plan adoption and the sale. So even with that 90-day plus window here, he was still able to capture a good price. Because again, the stock had fallen to almost $200 in the interim. Now, Less than two weeks later, on February 1st of 2023, Freda sold, this time when the stock hit $280. This was an actual trigger price. This is what we call an aspirational sale. He was looking to sell at a price higher than where the stock was when he adopted the plan. And in fact, this represented a high price for the year, for the 52-week period. So Freda's plan goes off again on February 1st. And again, he's being opportunistic. He's capturing a good price here. That momentum for the stock did not sustain. And recently, the stock was trading under $250 and even at one point fallen back to under $240. Again, if there had been a mandatory 90-day wait period like there is now, it would not have eliminated Freda's ability to sell opportunistically as he did. In fact, the change in the regulation probably would not have any impact on Freda's behavior. The way he adopted his plan in 2022, the way he then sold months later this year, that wouldn't have changed under the new regulation. We've talked a lot about changes that are coming to Rule 10b-51, some of which have already taken effect. One thing that's not changing is that insiders cannot be in possession of material non-public information at the time of a Rule 10b-51 plan adoption. This subject came up recently with the biotech company CGen. There was a report by our friends at the Wall Street Journal that the company was in early stage talks to be acquired by Pfizer. On the same day of that report, CFO Todd Simpson sold stock via a 10B51 plan. What's interesting is the reason Simpson's sale went off was because the Wall Street Journal report moved the stock higher. The stock, as a result, hit a trigger price that Simpson had embedded in a plan that he had adopted in December of 2022. That's a good 11 weeks before the journal's report. Now, the journal had termed the talks again as being in, quote unquote, the early stage. That suggests to me that talks probably didn't start until after the first of the year, meaning that in early December, when Simpson adopted his plan, there was nothing going on between Pfizer and CGen. 
a lot of investors were curious as to how and why Simpson was able to sell into this news-related pop. Well, again, that's because he had a 10B51 plan. And in fact, his 10B51 plan had gone off 11 days earlier when the stock breached $160 for the first time in months. The journal report sent shares of CGen up to over $180, and Simpson's sale that day actually went off right near the open, suggesting he probably had a trigger price embedded in there anywhere from $170 to over $180. Now, one of the things this shows is that insiders won't cancel plans if they do have material on public information. Some will, but most won't. Securities lawyers, 10B51 plan administrators, general counsels always counsel 10B51 users not to cancel plans if they have material on public information. That's because any prior sales under the plan could lose their safe harbor if the SEC or lawyers start looking into it. So insiders quite often do not cancel plans when they have material on public information. Knowing how 10B51 plans work and knowing the rules around them is important. Why? Because many investors wasted time that day, the day of the journal report, trying to figure out why the CFL had sold stock. Was it a tell that there was no deal that was going to happen? Was it a tell that a deal was going to happen? Either way, it was a waste of time because Simpson's sales should not have factored into how much merit an investor gave the report or the possibility of a deal. That's because the sale was merely a function of an existing 10B51 plan being triggered by a stock's movement. And understanding how insiders use 10B51 plans and understanding the regulations around them is what gives investors a differentiated edge. After this podcast was recorded, on March 13, 2023, Pfizer announced a deal to acquire CGen for $229 per share in cash. CGen CFO Todd Simpson's final sale via a 10B51 plan before the announcement was on March 9, 2023, and just $176.61 per share. This episode of Differentiated with Ben Silverman was brought to you by Verity. Verity designs software that helps over 360 asset managers discover one-of-a-kind insights, streamline research workflows, and manage fund research productively. To learn more or begin a free trial, visit verityplatform.com. This episode of Differentiated with Ben Silverman was edited, mixed, and scored by Calvin Marty. 